morning we're going to look together at a summary of God's Word that we find in our Confession of Faith, Article 20. But first I'd like to read with you from Romans chapter 5. I trust this is a familiar passage to us all. Romans 5, the first 11 verses. This is a beautiful summary of the Gospel of Christ. A beautiful reminder of where our peace and our confidence before God are found. Romans 5, the first 11 verses. The Apostle writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Amen. Now, as I said, Article 20 summarizes one of the messages of Scripture when it talks about that reconciliation, and especially how in reconciling us, Jesus reconciled God's justice and mercy. We believe that God, who is perfectly merciful and just, sent His Son to assume that nature in which the disobedience was committed, to make satisfaction in the same, and to bear the punishment of sin by His most bitter passion and death. God, therefore, manifested His justice against the Son when He laid our iniquities upon Him and poured forth His mercy and goodness on us who were guilty and worthy of damnation out of mere and perfect love, giving His Son unto death for us, and raising Him for our justification, that through Him we might obtain immortality and life eternal. Amen. Beloved sons and daughters of God through Christ, I trust that it's news to none of you that I'm fairly passionately pro-life. I believe that it's inconsistent in the extreme to advance abortion as a matter of freedom when it involves tearing away the freedom of those who have no say in the matter, the unborn. I find that argument immoral to say the least. And I cannot fathom how anyone who claims to know God could advance that position. However, I find it no less odd that some of those who are rather outspokenly against abortion also advance the argument 
that a consistent love for life, a consistent Christian faith, requires that we also be against the death penalty. They, they advance that argument saying that it's about mercy. We should always pursue the preservation of life. But the two are actually incompatible arguments. Abortion kills a child who has broken no laws among men. Whereas the death penalty takes the life of one who has scorned the law. Abortion takes a life that is takes a life in a way that is contrary to justice, while capital punishment takes a life upholding justice. Abortion justifies murder, whereas capital punishment condemns those who murder. And yet many fight against the death penalty, arguing that that act of justice stands contrary to the Christian calling to mercy. And that's the problem. Because you see, mercy and justice are both attributes of God, and none of the attributes of God can stand in conflict with one another. There is no conflict in God. And we see that nowhere more clearly than in the cross. There, the mercy of God was met and empowered by God's essential justice. At the cross, we find justice enabling mercy. The two characteristics of God, justice and mercy, perfectly and absolutely complementing one another. And that's the message that's emphasized in Article 20 of our Confession of Faith. Here we learn to confess that Christ came to reconcile and to demonstrate the compatibility of God's mercy and God's justice. So that's our theme this morning. We confess that Christ came to reconcile mercy and justice. But of course, the idea of God's justice being compatible with His mercy, that shouldn't be shocking to us. The concept is essential to the the decree of election that we most recently studied. Election, you'll recall, was God's decree which He established from eternity, before the creation of anything, that He would save some of those who had condemned themselves in sin. That's clearly a merciful act, right? We deserved God's wrath. We deserved His judgment. For Him to save us is clearly an act of mercy. And yet, that merciful decree would have been inconsistent with God's holiness if He had not also decreed to exercise justice against those sins. Not against the sinners, but against the sin. So there's a balance. Justice is fulfilled in order that mercy might be brought forth. That same balance of mercy and of justice is implied in absolutely every aspect of our redemption. All that God has done to redeem us necessarily manifests His mercy. When He, when he looked on Adam, who had sinned, who had rebelled against Him, and He expressed that promise that one who would come from the line of Adam and of Eve would conquer the one who led them into sin. And then he clothed them with the skin of an animal. Showing that blood would be shed. Showing that someone else would die instead of them so that their guilt would be covered. 
That was an act of mercy. When mankind's sin had increased to such a degree degree that, that God decreed that everyone must die, but then he, he provided for Noah and his family to be saved through the midst of the flood. That was an act of mercy. When in the midst of mankind, who all of whom conceived sin in their hearts, God reached out and He chose Abraham and He said, you shall be mine. And He said, I promise to be God to you and to your children after you and He shall be my people. That was an act of mercy. Every last time God has shown mercy. At the same time, justice has been at its side. Justice that would ensure that no command of God would be broken without penalty. Justice that would ensure that someone would pay the penalty for the sins of those whom God was reconciling. Now it's here in in Article 20 of our Confession that our forefathers brought this issue into the spotlight. And they did that on purpose. Because they wanted us to understand that our God is not inconsistent with Himself. He's not inconsistent. He doesn't say, no, I'm going to exercise justice against these people and mercy against these people. Capriciously, as though though he could choose one or the other. He's God. There is no contradiction in him. There is no falling short in him. He's not uh, exercising one standard against this people and another standard against this people. And the intention in sending His Son, the intention of the Incarnation was to demonstrate that our God, in in showing forth His mercy, would also show forth the fullness of His justice. That's why Article 20, having emphasized that God is perfectly just, or perfectly merciful, immediately mentions His justice. We confess here that God sent His Son to assume the nature of, in which the disobedience was committed. That was repeatedly emphasized in Articles 18 and 19 concerning Jesus' humanity. He had to be very man that He might die for us according to the infirmity of the flesh. That's the demand of justice. The requirement that a man must receive the penalty for the sins of a man. The demand that our substitute must be just like us, must be truly human. And then we're reminded that He was sent to make satisfaction in that human nature. In other words, he needed to not only be one of us, but he had to be the perfect one of us. It wasn't enough for him to simply have no sin. He had to undergo temptation. He had to live in the midst of a world that was filled with sin. He had to be surrounded by those who would encourage him by their example and by their command to rebel against God. And he had to to stand up against that temptation and be perfect and be righteous and be upholding God's law at every point. This too was the demand of God's justice. He had to perfectly submit in the way that Adam did. Right? Adam was given the command. You can eat of any tree of the garden except that one. That one. You must not eat of its fruit. Because in that way you will show that that you submit to me. That you trust me. That you will obey me no matter what. 
Eve looks at the fruit. She sees that it would be good for food. It looks tasty. It looks nourishing. But God said no. And Adam was called to believe God rather than his own eyes. To believe God rather than his own wife. To believe God rather than these this creature in the midst of the garden who spoke so sweetly. And he failed. He followed after the serpent. He followed after Satan. He listened to the sweet voice of his wife. He, he followed the lust of his eyes. Now Jesus, seeing temptations, not just one, but multitudes all around him. He must stand where Adam fell. He must obey where Adam refused. And then having perfectly stood, having been perfectly righteous, having done what Adam failed to do, he must suffer the penalty for our sin. He must endure God's wrath against our rebellion. In order for God to give us mercy, His perfect nature demanded justice against our substitute. That was His intention from the very start. We heard it in, in Hebrews 10, didn't we? Although God commanded Israel to sacrifice animals, bulls and goats and sheep, those were merely an image of the true sacrifice. Those former priests, they did the same thing time and time and time again, day after day. Because what they were offering wasn't the true sacrifice we needed. It, it wouldn't fulfill justice. Because an animal is not an image bearer of God. An image bearer of God would have to die in order to save those who were made to bear God's image. Those sacrifices taught Israel to look forward to the greater sacrifice, to the greater substitute, to the one who is truly man and truly righteous. And therefore we heard in Hebrews 10, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. You sit down when you're done working. Kids, how many times have you heard that from Dad? He gives you a job, walks away, he comes back a little bit later, you're sitting there kind of barely doing the job. He says, get up. You don't sit down until you're done working. Right? Stand up, finish the job, do it well, then you can sit, then you can rest. I know I heard that enough as a kid. Jesus knew that. He didn't sit down at the right hand of the Father. He didn't rest from his labors until he had fulfilled the task, completed the job, offered the perfect sacrifice to fulfill God's justice. Because once that had been done, then God's mercy could be poured out in fully upon His beloved ones, upon us. That's why He came. Now think about the practical significance of that. So often our ideas of justice and of mercy are just that. They're ideas. They lack shape and truth. But God revealed perfectly the balance between mercy and justice in sending His Son. He shows mercy that's more abundant than we can fathom. I mean, He promises you forgiveness of sins, reconciliation to Himself, adoption as His child, eternal life in the glory of heaven, even though He knows that you're going to continue to sin in this life. That is mercy beyond our our ability to fathom. And He calls us to reflect that to the watching world. But not only mercy, 
He calls us to reflect and to proclaim and to display His justice. He upheld justice to such a degree that He sent His Son to die? More than that. To suffer His wrath. To endure the essence of hell. So that we could enjoy the, the glory of heaven. Now shouldn't we, who are delivered by His mercy, who are reconciled through justice, shouldn't we reflect that character of God? On the one hand, shouldn't we be willing to sacrifice deeply in order to show mercy to others? Of course. We're called to to give of our time, to give of our love, to give of our efforts to those who are in need of mercy. When your brother falls, falls into sin, and he needs someone to hold him accountable, you know that's going to cost you time. It's going to cost your efforts. It's going to it's going to be a pain to hold him accountable, to walk alongside of him, to assure him of God's love. But when God has shown us such mercy, should we not show such mercy to others? At the same time, we have to display God's justice, don't we? We do that in part by taking up His law as a means of showing our gratitude. This is what we were made to do. Honoring God, following God, keeping His commands. But we also show His justice through discipline. When we disobey, when we fail, when we fall short, we we need to take the discipline of men without complaint. You get pulled over because you were exceeding the law. Don't try to talk yourself out of it. and You don't badmouth the police. You, you accept the fact that you deserve that ticket. And when your child disobeys, you don't just excuse it or hem and haw about it. You, you punish them. You give them a spanking or you take away a privilege so that they understand that disobedience hurts. That justice is a real thing. Because unless we understand the reality of justice, unless we understand that disobedience hurts, we can't understand the depth and the breadth of our need for Christ who took justice for us. Nor can we truly fathom the blessing of God's mercy. Reconciling justice and mercy. That was the intention of the incarnation. And it's also the implication of the crucifixion. Our confession reminds us God, therefore, manifested His justice against the Son when He laid our iniquities upon Him and poured forth His mercy and goodness on us who were guilty and worthy of damnation. So often mankind skews that truth by pitting justice and mercy against each other. And yet they're not meant to be enemies. In fact, Isaiah declared in Isaiah 1 verse 27, Zion shall be redeemed, mercy, By justice, Zion shall be redeemed. Zion, that's representative of God's people, shall be redeemed by justice. Despite the world's skewed idea that justice and mercy stand opposed to one another, the cross reveals the truth. There on Calvary's hill, the pivotal war for the souls of the elect was fought and won. It was a battle between raw justice and Versus justice reconciled with mercy. There was but one casualty. And yet by the blood of that one, the king, the battle was won 
and mercy was obtained. In the cross, we find justice indeed. As we, as we come near Easter, we're going to talk about this in greater depth. Lord willing, we'll, we'll look together at Isaiah 53. But Isaiah 53 demonstrates to us how God in Christ poured forth His justice so that to us He might pour forth His mercy. Isaiah 53 is the story of the cross. It's the story of the crucifixion. He was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made His grave with the wicked and with the rich man in His death, although He had done no violence and there was no deceit in His mouth. He received the full wages of sin. The full penalty for rebellion. Even though He had not rebelled. Even though He had never sinned. Why? Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. That's what the cross proclaims. You want mercy? Wonderful. He gets justice. You want heaven? Okay. He has to suffer hell. Mercy and justice are not opposed. But are two aspects of the redemption that delivers us. The only way we could receive the fullness of God's mercy, of God's grace, is if He received the fullness of God's justice. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We were reconciled to God. We received His mercy through the justice that Christ endured. Beloved, we must understand this truth or we miss the very essence of the gospel. And the truth is simply this, that justice and mercy are not opposed. They are mother and child. Mercy was conceived within justice by the inconceivably deep love of God. And justice then gave, gave birth to mercy on the cross. As Christ endured the unendurable agony of hell, we receive the mercy of God's love, God's reconciliation, God's adopting. The question for us is how do we bear witness to that intimate union of mercy and of justice? See, we would distort God's truth, as the church in America too often has, if we focused on mercy alone without ever talking about justice. We don't like talking about the way Jesus had to suffer. Right? And we don't, frankly, we don't like talking about the law. We don't like talking about the demands that, that God's word makes upon us. We don't like talking about repentance and sin and submission. Those are hard. Talk too much about that, and the preacher, he starts getting, you know, gentle suggestions and then less than gentle suggestions that maybe we need to talk more about grace and mercy and peace. But you see, we need to hear from both sides. We need to hear that we were created to be God's servants, that we were created to submit completely and absolutely to God, and that we failed, and therefore we deserve God's wrath. Because unless we understand how little we deserve to stand before God, 
we cannot fathom how great our gratitude to Him should be for sending His Son and for causing Him to take what we deserved. Now how do we show that? How do we testify to that? We need to show mercy that's not free. We need to show mercy that's costly. It comes in little ways and in big ways. Little ways. Kid disobeyed again. <sighs> Drives you nuts, right? How many times have we been through this particular battle? And yet here we are again. And you disobeyed again. And you want you want to punish them. Don't. Hold up. Send them to their room. Tell them I'll be in when I'm not so mad. Right? So that when you punish them, they see that it's not an act of tyranny. And it's not an outflowing of your anger that's irrational. But instead you come in and you punish them. Do, do punish them. Proverbs 13 verse 24 says, He who spares the rod hates his child. When you punish them, they need to see this is justice. Right? That disobedience does hurt. But then after that, because you were calm, because you took time to let your anger dissipate, you can hug them and show them God's mercy and His love. Right? We need to, as God's people, stand for justice in the community, in the world. We uphold the law. We think law is a good thing. And so when people disobey the law, they need, to, they need to suffer that penalty. right? We should be a law and order people, but at the same time, we need to be in jail. We need to be visiting people in prisons. We need to be supporting. Brother Ipema was here last week. We need to be supporting the work of Divine Hope uh, Reformed, what is it, Divine Hope Bible Seminary, whatever it's the technical name of it is. We need to be supporting that. Where we're, we have men in the prisons teaching these people about God's Word and about grace and about salvation. And you can do it too. There's a ministry called Crossroads Bible Institute where you can teach those prisoners from afar the truths of the Gospel, the truths of God's Word, and then write them a personal letter of of encouragement. You know what? That's costly. That means every week you're going to spend an hour going through this lesson and writing this letter. Or maybe two hours. You get into the, you know, there's different phases of it. A person who sticks with it, they go from phase one to phase two, and I think there's a phase three, where they need mentors in the, the higher levels where you're dealing with the same person time and again. You get invested in that person. That's hard. That takes time, that takes effort, that takes prayer, and that demonstrates the gospel. It shows mercy that's costly. How about when you're offended? We get offended. We get offended with people from church, don't we? No surprise, church is full of sinners like us. But you know what's really the temptation there? You know what? That person said something that I think is utterly unacceptable or they offended me. They, they said something about one of my kids. I'm never having anything to do with them again. 
Matter of fact, they do it again, and I'm out of here. I'm going to go to the church down the road. And we live in an area where you can do that. There's options. Don't. Instead, do that hard work of spending some time on your knees asking God to soften your heart. And then that even harder work of going to the person and in love saying, listen, I've been really angry at you. And I need you to know why. And asking them humbly to acknowledge the way that they've offended you and to repent of it. And then forgiving them. That's costly because that means you don't get your pound of flesh. You don't get to take vengeance on them. You don't get to treat them badly. And you don't get to tell others what they did. Because forgiveness means you forgave them. You're not going to bring it up to God or to other people or to them or even to your own heart. You wipe it off. That's hard. Because you want to tell other people. Well, you know, we'll justify it. We'll say, we're just warning them. We don't want them to get hurt. You want You want to get even. But if we're to reflect this, if we're to reflect the mercy and the justice of God, then we take that justice on ourselves the way God did. And we show them the mercy. That's hard. But when we do that, the world takes notice. And so do we we start to appreciate something that we have to appreciate if we're to grow in grace. And that's that this reconciling of justice and mercy is really the foundation of our justification. It's the foundation of our relationship with the Lord. We're out of time. We don't, we're not going to go too deeply into this. But just take note of the fact of what we see in Romans 5. This is why we read Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have peace with God because we chose. Right? Because we chose Him. Because He was standing at the door and and we graciously opened. No, no, no. We have peace with God because of what Jesus did. Through Him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. It's not something we earned, not something we obtained, not something we deserve. He deserved it for us. He paid the price of justice so that we could receive the reward of mercy. All we did was trust Him. Faith. And even that, Ephesians 2 says, was a gift. We can't even take credit for that. God shows His love for us, verse 8, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were hateful, while we were still rebelling, while we were still... That's when He died on the cross. We were, I can put it this way, I think, standing in the crowd calling for His death, saying, His blood be on our heads. And yet He died for us anyway. He took justice for us anyway. That's mercy. That's what stands at the heart of our Peace. Beloved, the more we come to understand that, the more we're going to be willing to go out of our way to pay a price to to suffer in order to show mercy to others. So that they, seeing the difference that that gospel has made in us, seeing how differently we act, want to know what is it that lies at the heart of this hope that you have. 
And then we get to tell them about Jesus. We get to tell them about how while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. While we were enemies, we received mercy by the justice His Son endured. That's a hard message to speak. That's a far harder message to live out. But brothers and sisters, if we understand the price that He paid, if we understand how essential it was that He took justice in order to show mercy, we will long for opportunities to show others, to tell others, to convey to others the glorious work that He has done. May God make that to be our passion. And may it be reflected in every aspect of our lives. Amen. Let's pray.